Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators. My name is James Holden, speaking for the five survivors of the Canterbury. Our ship was destroyed answering a bogus SOS from a ship called the Scopuli. We recovered a false beacon and identified it as Martian naval technology. It was a trap. Are you We're insane? We're about to be taken aboard the MCR and done. Alex, shut him down. Just lock us out. Lock us out. We intend to cooperate. Hopes this means we won't be harmed. Should I smoke him? Say the word. We're dead anyway. Any such action would only confirm that the Canterbury was destroyed by Mars. everyone and welcome to smoking and drinking in space this is a sci-fi podcast from a couple guys who think they know sci-fi and this week we discuss our coverage of the show that came out during the sci-fi channel's golden age you know the one where they had good shows that explores what it might look like if humanity doesn't blow itself up in the next couple hundred years starring Stephen Strait, thomas jane and dominique tipper it's season one of the expanse but first, he's the Martian cowboy who kind of knows how to fly ships and has questionable tastes in music. It's Rob. How are you doing, Rob? Doing pretty good. Hold on. Gee, God. Oh, fuck. We're, um, we're enjoying a fudge round today, by the way. Of course you are. Mm-hmm. And you, why do you have to do this on my show? You don't do this on your show. Look, you buy me a gift... I want to make sure that you know that I'm enjoying it. I, I, I bought you that gift to enjoy in private. Mm-mm. No, no. Any good gift is worth sharing. I hate you so much. Mm. And he is the gritty noir detective with no love for anyone and has a really shitty haircut that he covers up with an even shittier hat. He's on loan from the Gunna Geek Network to cover the expanse with us. It's SP. How are you doing, SP? Here, why don't you put this hat on? Your head's big enough for it. <laughs> My uh my my head's actually kind of small. I have to I have to wear like a medium to medium large. Mm-hmm. Yep. You say that now, but you know, as one of the head of the Creative Brain Candy podcast or co-op or whatever you guys call it, do you know that your head's gotta be pretty big for that? No, we, we leave that up to James. He's got the <laughs> noggin that can't fit through a door. Yeah, I it's you true. know I wouldn't say myself as the detective in this story, but uh, Miller's got a pretty cool arc, at least in the first season, possibly second season. So yeah, we'll discuss that in a bit. Okay, all right, Rob, you got any news for us this week? I do, and good news. There's no superhero news. Oh, finally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's not because yeah, yeah, you yeah. couldn't find any, though, right? Uh, I tried really hard. I'm sure you did. Um, I could find some really quick. Don't. But I found, Just I don't. found a few things that were uh, a little bit more entertaining, I think. Well, lay it on us. All right, so first one. We have in our continuing coverage of the house on the moon for the aliens... We have an explanation for it, finally. Oh, yeah. I know, I know we've been waiting. 
So was it a was it a postmodern architecture? Was it kind of like a Victorian architecture, maybe colonial style? No, not, it's a rock. <laughs> it's a rock. I kind of it's a yeah, square yeah, yeah. rock. Yeah, yeah. So, it's a rock. So somebody went yeah, out there what I'm with thinking. a little chisel, like the Egyptians with the pyramids, and they made a square rock so they could make a pyramid there, so that the sun god Ra could come in, you know, with the Gould and create another spaceship on the moon yeah i think so um but here's here's the funny thing though they um they have changed it from the mystery house um you know so alien house to now it is called the jade rabbit so we have alien rabbits on the moon space rabbits wait wait why is it a jade rabbit because the way it looks um the it's huddled shape has earned it the name of a jade rabbit. It looks like a rabbit if you squint your eye to one side, um, <laughs> tilt your head, and stick out your tongue. And, um, and why is it jade? I don't know, because it's Chinese that like went and looked at it, so you know, they had to give it a they had to give it a color or a a, a, a mineral substance. Um Somebody was watching a little bit too much Matrix lately. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. Oh, well, that'd be the white rat. Yeah, they didn't want to get copyright infringement, right? Yep. So you got to change it from white to jade. The white rabbit came from Alice in Wonderland, which I'm pretty sure is in the public domain. Oh, that's true. That's true. So um, I've sent I've sent you an image Uh so that you can wait. This was the rock. This is not square. This was. This is this is supposedly the rock. Um. <sighs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So that resolution on that initial image, like from what mm-hmm. what would they say, like uh, eighty or eight hundred meters away? How eighty meters? Eighty meters. Eighty meters. Yeah, yeah, eighty yeah. meters away was so bad it looked like a square just because i guess the image processing mm-hmm. couldn't right right couldn't do the mm-hmm. fine details and and it turns yeah, yeah. out to be this mm-hmm. and yeah if you if you tilt your head to one side and yeah stand on one foot while wiggling mm-hmm. your fingers on your left hand yeah it kind of looks like a huddling rabbit yeah it looks like all the rabbits that i shoot yeah, up here at the lake yeah oh yeah my God. so what are you um, using to shoot rabbits at the lake man 22 yeah, how many times are you shooting them? Because that that's that's a pretty rough looking rock. Well, he's n- not a great shot. <laughs> he shoots it until it's dead. <laughs> I hit everything I'm aiming for. <laughs> yes, eventually. What else you got, Rob? All right. So, um, astronomers have found the biggest structure in the Milky Way to date. Uh, and it is a filament of hydrogen that spans 3,900 light years. Holy shit. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, Big Bang happened. Universe was born. Hydrogen is out there. It is It is very abundant. Um, it just finding it in large quantities is not necessarily or large condensed quantities isn't necessarily uh, um, commonplace. Except for like what, nebula? Nebulas and things like that, yeah. But uh, 
this is by far the largest group uh, or the largest uh, uh, cluster of hydrogen uh, being what 3,900 light years across. Um, this thing is located 55,000 light years away, so basically on the other side of the Milky Way galaxy. And uh, they gave it a cute name. It's named Maggie. Aww. Why? I don't know. They just, uh, they named it Maggie. Um, I I guess because if you're the scientist that finds it, you get to name it after your girlfriend. I don't, I don't know. Okay. So, well, uh, yeah, yeah. So, they, and they didn't have any explanation for why Maggie. Typically, there's mm -mm. a story behind that. I, this particular site, fizz.org, does not have oh, that sounds a, reputable. Uh, a story behind the name of Maggie. Well, it's like the astronomer in uh, Armageddon that names his the asteroid oh, that's yeah. coming to kill the Earth after his wife because it's a relentless <laughs> bitch from which yeah. there's no escape. Yeah, 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 yeah. It could be that. Because it's a life-sucking um, bitch that's going to kill us all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so typically there's a story behind that. Um, did, did the article start with something like, you won't believe the name of this I mean, was it no. like a clickbaity article? Because that doesn't no. sound like a reputable no, site. It's, it's got a it's got a whole like YouTube video on um, the Maggie filament and what is the physical properties of this giant atomic cloud. And so I don't know. Yeah, I don't have any information on Sorry? that. Yeah, this is. Mm. Oh wait. Wait, hey, if you if you look further down in the article a little God bit. damn it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, when he observed the filament, he named it. Oh, well, this isn't near as entertaining as, uh, you know, ex-wife, which is a soul-sucking bitch. Um, I keep forgetting the, Rob doesn't read the articles. Mm, look, it was way down after, like, the clickbait uh, advertisements and all that, so I thought it was done. Um, anyway, so the scientist, Juan de Soler, um, in the, uh, he's an astrophysicist in the University of uh, Vienna. Uh, when he observed it, he named it after the longest river in his native country of Colombia, the Rio Magdalena, yeah, okay. uh, which is, um, uh, I guess they call it short, for short, they call it Maggie. Um, so, there you go. I could see that. A long okay, well, that makes after sense. a river. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At least it wasn't yeah. his girlfriend. Yeah, right. Right. So, 3,900 uh, light years long, 130 light years wide. Jeez, that's a long one. All right, what else that's you what got? she said. Oh, uh, what else do I got? So, we did the mystery hut. Uh, that is a rabbit. We've got the uh, hydrogen crap. Oh, Oh, here's another one. So, aliens. Aliens are a thing. Why? The unknown object, there is uh, some sort of unknown object at the heart of the Milky Way that has been beaming radio signals and then disappearing. Now, I'm not saying aliens, but I'm saying aliens. Like a pulsar? Uh, of course you are. Well, that, yeah, like, of course. Uh, pulses with mm, radio no, waves? not a pulsar. So... Uh, a physics PhD student at the University of Sydney was going through a bunch of uh, data back in 2020 
uh, from Australia's ASKAP radio telescope. Um, the research team detected 2 million objects, and they've been classifying them. Uh, the computer has identified most of the stars at re- various stages of life. Um, they've picked out some. Um, they've picked out the telltale signs of pulsars and things like that. Uh, but there is some sort of object at the center of the galaxy that has stumped the computer and the researchers. Basically, the object emitted powerful radio waves um, throughout 2020. It did it six times over a course of nine months. The irregular pattern and polarized radio emissions didn't look like anything that they had ever seen before, so they don't think it is a pulsar. So they went to go find that object on um, uh, using X-ray, visible light, or infrared light. They were look uh, everything, and um, they couldn't find it. They lost the radio signal. It disappeared. And then about a year later, boom, it shows up again. Um, and then disappeared again after about a day. So I think it is aliens contacting their friends on the backside of the moon that are hiding underneath the space rabbit. Why would they be hiding? You're an idiot. Well, because they don't want us to know. So like that space rabbit, that space rock, that's actually just a rock that they keep their key under. (laughs) Um, And uh, so that they can o- unlock uh, the door that heads to the center of the uh, to the center of the moon. Um, if you wait a couple weeks, in a couple weeks, we will tell you all about it in our documentary that we're covering of Moonfall. <laughs> I'm a little oh disappointed my here. God, Rob. You're an idiot, Rob. You didn't cover the SpaceX launch. Because you didn't cover the SpaceX launch tower there in Texas. You didn't cover the status of the James Webb Space Telescope. You didn't say anything about the White House extending the International Space Station operations through 2030. I mean, none of the realistic stuff. You just go off on aliens and rabbits and I don't know what kind of drugs you're on. You've you've met Rob before, right? The aliens and, well, the rabbits, the whole aliens and the rabbits thing, that was important, hard-hitting news because we were trying to figure out what that house was. I'm not sure you know what hard-hitting news means. And and as far as uh, SpaceX, I just, I didn't look at that. James Webb Telescope, you know, it unfurled. It's doing great. It's completed all its steps. It's heading for its location. We should be getting some sort of images sometime soon soon being relative because you know space they're aligning um, the mirrors it's not that far away they're aligning the mirrors they got a 18 mirrors that they have to mm-hmm. align in order to get good pictures right. otherwise you're going to get bad pictures kind of like your rabbit yeah see if we would have had that telescope we might have been able to uh turn the turn the <laughs> no. telescope to the moon and zoomed in works. on that bad boy you know, there'd be some dude sitting there at the computer typing away and saying enhance as he does it. Oh, my God. Sure. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's hear a commercial from uh, another show on the uh, CBC network, shall we? Okay. Do you like true crime? Oh, my God, Kat. You can't just ask people if they like murder. But I'm curious. 
Well, curiosity killed the cat. Does that make you curiosity? No. I'm Logan. And I'm Kat. And we're the hosts of the true crime comedy podcast, Spoiler They Die, which is part of the Creative Brain Candy Media Cooperative. We release an episode every Monday where one of us tells the other a story about a serial killer, a survivor, or basically anything morbid and scary. You can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and by visiting creativebraincandy.com. We're also active on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us by searching Spoiler They Die. Also, we're Canadian, in case that matters to anyone. I don't think people listen to podcasts based on people being Canadian or not. People in our Discord server seem to care. Oh, sorry about that, eh? I'm so sorry you all had to listen to that. But thanks for listening to us panhandle. I'm Logan, and I approve this message. All right, definitely go check them out. They're on us. creativebraincandy.com. You can find their show there. Um, <laughs> who's ready for a pod crawl? Oh, uh, I am. Sure. I've please. got more news. No. No. No? no. Okay. Three's enough. Okay. And it wasn't superhero. Okay. Is it sci-fi news? It was not sci-fi okay. news. Okay. Thanks. Just science. Let's do this. Okay. We can call it, I don't know, say a pod Crawl? The pod crawl! Pod crawl! Pod crawl! Pod crawl! Excellent! Insert it deep! Pod crawl! Kind of like a space suppository full of information. It's 200 years in the future. Earth is a climactic wreck. Humanity has colonized the solar system, and in typical fashion, fractured into factions to stake their claims. The UN now governs Earth, parts of the asteroid belt, and has outposts in the outer planets. Mars has broken off to start a congressional parliament, however that works, and are attempting to transform Mars into a garden paradise, but are still in the New Jersey phase of gardening. The asteroid belt is semi-independent now, with Ceres Station coming more and more under the control of the OPA, a rebellion group that wants to claim the belt for belters and has some questionable means of doing so. Meet Miller, a detective on Ceres who is paid by an Earth security firm, but is belter-born and bred. He's burned out and on the take and breaking in a new partner, His boss has handed him an off-the-books assignment to find a rich man's daughter, who is on her rebellion walkabout, hanging with a bad crowd and marching in protest, the usual. At this point it becomes a classic tale of boy meets girl by digging through her history, boy falls in love and loses everything, including his gerb, to find the girl, boy joins forces with a group of salvagers to find the girl, girl is eaten from the inside by a living crystalline virus, boy is heartbroken and hit with a massive dose of radiation, boy is rescued by salvage team. Speaking of the salvage team, this group of ragtag United Colors of Benetton come courtesy of the Canterbury, an ice hauler that was exploded by a mystery ship after they answered a distress call. There's Holden, the de facto leader of the group who fills the reluctant leader trope to a T, Alex, the former Mars pilot that nobody knew came from Mars who was a glorified truck driver in the Martian Navy, Amos, who is a sociopathic bruiser who shifts alliances so much he gives whiplash to anyone trying to keep up. And finally Naomi, the brilliant engineer who can make a nuclear reactor from a paper clip and a nuclear reactor and consistently makes the worst decisions possible throughout the entire series. They were on the life raft investigating the distress signal when their mothership exploded and were stranded in space where they were rescued by the flagship of the Martian Navy, the Donager. However, the Donager was blown up by the same mystery ships that blew up the Cant. The Donager captain gets Holden and the gang off the ship via a Martian gunship frigate called the Tachi. They head towards Tycho Station, a private shipyard, that is run by a former Earth military officer named Fred Johnson, known for a massacre of surrendering dissidents. 
Holden and crew gather the clues and eventually locate Julie Mao's last known location on Eros. It's there they meet Miller just as they discover Julie's corpse. Miller and gang split up to try and figure out what killed Julie, and make their way back to the newly renamed gunship, now called the Rosinante, where Miller and Holden are microwaved, inside a riot, watch a zombie apocalypse, and get rescued by their shipmates who shoot Miller's friend in the head over a disagreement on tardiness. The head of the spies on Earth, of Surla is pretty sure she knows what's going on with the stealth ships, and who might be responsible, Julie's dad turns out to be the man behind the proto-molecule, and roll a shitty corporate spy getting his just desserts, credits. All right, season one of The Expanse. So we're going to be covering The Expanse by season for the uh, next six episodes, although there will be a break after, I think, uh, our season coverage two. of season two so that yeah. we can work on Moonfall as promised. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because we got to bring uh, we got to bring James back for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, he... so James will be back for Moonfall. So season one, um, I haven't seen season one probably in several years. Um, I, I've... I've kept up with uh, all of the seasons. In fact, I I finished up season six shortly after I finished up season one for coverage of, of this episode. Um, and it's it's amazing how many callbacks on the later seasons you find watching season one. Uh, it was it was really interesting watching season six along with season one and and seeing the consistency. Uh, between the the last season and the first season. So uh, what do you guys think? SP. Well, for those that don't know, The Expanse is based on a novel series that was penned by somebody Mm -hmm. named James S.A. Corey, which is actually a pen name for two individuals, Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. And they wrote the first book in 2011, Leviathan Wakes. They've written so far nine with a 10th coming. Not all of them are in the six seasons of The Expanse that was on sci-fi and on the um, Amazon Prime. We'll get to that in a bit, I hope. And I read the first book, and Rob can tell you all about that Mm -hmm. because he's read all of them. And I will tell you that the seasons one and two of The Expanse, which is what book one was translated into, are way better because there's better character development, there's more of a world building or solar system building or universe building, whatever you want to call it, story that comes out in the TV series. TV series uh, season one is my most watched season of TV ever. It is phenomenal. I love it. And I am so pumped that you guys have asked me to ride shotgun with you as you go through all six seasons because it's phenomenal. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, this is uh, definitely one of my uh, probably most rewatched series. Uh, even going as as long as it has six seasons, um, and it's it's one of the, my favorite series or television series that that I've I've watched the the storytelling that they accomplish, um, and since it's a serial storytelling uh, through through episodes instead of like an episodic like uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, it tells a consistent story, and they, they, they accomplish a lot of, of character development and storytelling. Of course, you're, you're going to be able to do that more in, in, in any, any book than you are going to be able to do that in, in TV or, or movie, but they, they still accomplish a lot. So, Rob, you've read the books. I uh, have. You've, you've watched all the series except for season six. For some reason, you're holding Correct. off on that. I don't know why. Uh, 
Well, I'm about to get started on it, actually. Um, here sh- shortly. What What's the holdup? I mean, it's been out for months. Uh, just other thing having to watch other things. Uh, wife wants to watch it as well, and I only have so much time where she is awake at night. Yeah, I don't believe. So, it. yeah. So I just haven't gotten that far yet. Uh, but it is gonna happen. All right. So, yeah. uh, so your thoughts on on or general thoughts on season one. And uh, compare that to your thoughts on the book. I think I agree with SP and that the book is is a lot better at uh, flushing uh, flushing out the characters, flushing out the 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 world or the universe, so to speak. Um, you know, but again, it's I think the opposite. I think the series is better in season one than the book, The Leviathan Wakes. I think season one and season two of The Expanse way better than Leviathan Wakes. Oh, oh okay. okay. So I, okay, mis- okay. I misunderstood Yeah, I thought you, you went the other direction, yeah. So I think... So I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's been a while since I've read the book, but I, I seem to... Th- I got hooked in the book a lot uh, a lot quicker than I did the show. I mean, the show hooked me into the book because I started watching the show and I was like, man, this is good. Uh, I want to see what the books are like. Um, I, I, I think they did a... Okay, so I guess I'm thinking in terms of like all the books, uh, not all the books, but, you know, the first couple books in that, you know, it's kind of a slow burn to flush out the characters. Uh, like, you don't see Avasara or Avasalara or whatever until, like, book two or three. Whereas they bring her in on season one. So, you know, there's some there's some differences there. I think Sci-Fi did a phenomenal job of taking the book and making it work. And making it work well. Um you know, normally you you hear a lot of oh man, this is not as good as the book. I, honestly, I think they're a, they're pretty close to the same in terms of the meat. Well, let's let's you know? clarify that though first, because you said okay. you thought sci-fi did a phenomenal job. This was not a sci-fi production. This was an well, Alcon production, and okay. sci-fi was the distributor. So, and I, okay, I think so, that kind of contributed. So Alcon. I think yeah, that kind of contributed okay. to how well this show did. And yeah, okay. So, yeah, it wasn't one of them uh, Sharknado right. uh, shows. Right. Right. So, but okay. So, this, uh, let me, Alcon, um, or, you know, at the time, anybody's going to say, oh, it was on sci fi, right? They're, they're going to, they're not going to know that Alcon did it necessarily, um, unless they really dig into it. I think they did a great job of adapting those books. Um, my biggest my biggest criticism that I would have is the fact um, that they split it up they split the first book into two seasons uh, I, I kind of and it was kind of good because they had a lot of world building to do but on the same page I'm like I started watching season one and I was like, oh, this is good. Let me w- start reading the book. I finished the book before season one had finished because season one was, season one and two, well, actually one through three were released every week, right? Mm-hmm. I finished the book in like a week, week and a half. So I'm sitting there going, all right, all right. Ooh, we're going to get to the good part. We're going to get to the good, oh, damn it. They stopped at the good part. Right. Uh, well, the good part being the proto-molecule taking over. 
Yeah, if Spoiled. if that's your definition of the of the good part here, there is a lot of good parts. So first of all, the no. research. Yeah, that I, yeah, there definitely is. The research that I've done so far has pinned the time of this occurring to be about twenty three fifty, which is you know roughly three hundred fifty years in the future. There's no year given in any of the productions on where this specifically is, but the best guess by everybody. You know, the fans and the authors has been about 2,350 A.D. So this is when humanity has started colonizing the solar system. And the world building really lasts three seasons until you get the the holistic view of what's going on inside the solar system. You have locations in the solar system that are in the belt. You have Mars. You have Earth being the, the birthplace of humanity. Unfortunately, there's been ecological disasters, overpopulation, and humanity has really had to spread out. So you have asteroids like Eros and Circes, and you have shipbuilding places like Tycho Station, uh, asteroids like Phoebe, all in the belt area, which is in between Mars and Jupiter. And you have Mars and you have Earth, and those are the locations, really, of this season. season Yeah, season one. And that's just important to denote is that we were actually getting this and it's based on real science. You have actual gravity or no gravity. When you're on series and you're pouring a drink, you see it take these phenomenal gravity arcs. So it's not just the same arc that you would get in your kitchen uh, pouring a cup of coffee. It actually goes through a, a little gravity arc to get to your cup because that's the gravity they have to endure. You have ships without gravity because when they're not underpowered, there is no gravity unless they're rotating around, which comes into play more so in season two, three and on. You have magnetic boots that are needed to actually walk around. You have science for science sakes in your science fiction. So just based on the world building where you are in the solar system and the actual science behind this whole thing, and they get into the drives later in the series, not in season Mm -hmm. one, the the ship drives Mm -hmm. that it drew me in just based on the realistic depiction of what would be out there in 300 years. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really what drew me in too. So the first time I watched this, I think, uh, I think season one had already been released and they were about to release season two. And so I'd heard quite a bit about the expanse. I hadn't checked it out yet. And so I, I fired up the the sci-fi app and I fired up season one because I think I was just looking for something to watch and and that hit my radar. I think I was watching The Magicians at the time or, or some other sci-fi series and, and that came up as a as a recommendation. So I was like, okay, yeah, I wanna I wanna check out this series. I've heard some stuff about it. I didn't have high hopes because I never have high hopes on sci-fi series. Um there there have been some good ones. I love Eureka, I love the magicians. Yeah. Um, Haven, uh, Haven was really good. Uh, but again, that was in the kind of the golden age of, of, of the sci-fi channel and, and they, they, they were shit before they're kind of shit now. Um, but this was kind of during the golden age. So I fired it up and in like the first five or 10 minutes of the show, they show zero gravity sex. And I was like, holy shit. They managed Dude, it to wasn't actually... five or ten minutes. It was five or ten seconds. It was like the was it first that scene. Fast? Yes, I, I it was the yeah. first scene. <laughs> so they showed zero gravity sex, and I was like, "Oh wow, okay." So they're actually taking physics seriously in this show. And throughout the they first episode, hooked. yeah, 
throughout the first episode, I mean, they were they were pretty pretty accurate on the physics. Now, of course, they they kind of stretched the stuff and and their sound in space, but that's a design wait, decision that wait, I, wait, I choose wait, wait, to wait, ignore. Wait, wait. So that's not true. When it first came out in sci-fi, I recall that when they would do the outside shots, you wouldn't hear anything. Well, even in this season, though, whenever a ship passes by the camera, you hear a rumble of the engine. When it was in, when it was on Sci-Fi, they didn't do that. I think they went back and added sound because that was a small critique that was done after the first season that a lot of people had said was they didn't like the fact that there was no sound. You couldn't hear the guns shooting and things like that unless you were inside the ship. Oh, okay. I thought that so. was, I thought that was cool. And that's the one thing. And I have the, I had it in my notes. That was the one thing that I noticed is watching this on Amazon, uh, rewatching this. I was like, I don't, I remember there not being sound. So I kind of remembered that too. And that was a little odd yeah. that I, I started hearing stuff and I was like, well, okay. I thought that the, so yeah I think you're right I yeah. think they went back and and added some sound effects yeah because that's what that scenes. really that really brought me in was the fact that it was like oh no sound this is kind of cool they're they're playing it real so I wrote down a hallmark moment for every single episode and the f- hallmark moment for the first episode was the Canterbury explosion because it was big moment you have the entire crew that you've been drawn into and i want to talk about that later was uh dead basically and then you have this big explosion unlike the death star in star wars there's no sound whatsoever but then you get the shock wave when the shock wave comes and hits the little tug the night and uh, so you feel the effects, but you don't hear the effects when the Canterbury blows up. And I did remember that as being, okay, well, cool. This is actual physics. There is some minimal sound translation in space, depending on if you're touching something, if there is any sort of gas around. But for the most part, there is no sound that's translated in space. Yeah, and, and it's actually cool. I think it's in season two. Uh, and we'll get to that. There's a there's a scene where um, Holden and I want to say, um, uh, oh my God, what is her name? Naomi. Naomi. I keep wanting to say Dominique. Uh, Naomi are out on the hull of the ship, and they turn off their radios, but they push their helmets together, and they're able to talk due to the sound vibration translation between the helmets. Right. So that that's a really cool. Um, little kind of tidbit that they they add, and I think that's in season two. That might be season three, but it's 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 in one of the earlier seasons, and and that's also a really cool thing. So yeah, they they stay pretty accurate to the the, the physics in this show, and and I really appreciate that. But it's it sneaks up on you too, the actual story because it seems just like a a, a typical missing persons type uh, a story. And you have your A A story, which turns out to be the Miller story. And then you have your B story, which is the events uh, that happen after the Canterbury explodes. And then they merge those two stories together. And and it ends up that Holden and team are are actually the the A story uh, moving forward. And it's just masterful storytelling, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, and, and even in the books, it's amazing the 
how interconnected they make everything, you know, seemingly random events um, actually coincide with each other. Um, the one thing, and the one thing I, I do have one critique about this entire series, and I understand it, it's the sense of time. Uh, yeah. You know, in the books, they make they make it known that things take months or you know weeks or whatever, depending on how far they're going. They make right. it known that while this is happening, it's not happening in days; it's happening in months. Um, yeah, it was it was like twenty days or something like that, if I remember correctly before the the survivors on the night got picked up by the Doniger uh, or something like I mean, it was ridiculous. Uh, you know, in here, they make it sound like it's a couple hours. Well, it was. Right? They so, said they only had, yeah. like, oxygen for, what, four hours? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so so they I, I want to say it might have not been 20 days, but it was a longer period of time. Yeah, so um, there is a lot of time compression in this yeah. series, and... It, yeah, it kind of suffers from Game of Thrones sim, uh, syndrome in the later stages of Game of Thrones. They're like expanding. They're marching across continents with huge armies in a matter of days. Uh, it, here, they're they're traversing the solar system on, you know, sublight drives in just a, a matter of days. And, and about 1G. Uh, right. In the books, it's about 1, 1.5G, I think, is typically what they, uh, their cruising speed is uh, half G. Okay, yeah. In the books. So, yeah, and you, and you figure, you know, a hard burn is about one, one and a half G. Of course, they do three some... Three or four. Oh, is it three or four in the books? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, when they do a hard burn, it's three or four. Uh, when they do in combat burns and things like that, yeah, it gets up to the fives or six. Uh, and that's when you're getting the juices. So that's uh, about for, what a, a sure. terrestrial launch is, isn't it, SP? About five or six Gs? So it depends on what you're launching on, but at least three G's up to like momentarily seven or nine on reentry coming back down. But it's about three G's when you're launching. Yeah. And one of the great things about this whole story, this whole series is the character driven rich world. You have multiple story arcs. You guys were talking about that a little bit, but you care about the characters because they're flawed. And the, the entire first season if I had to sum it up in a nutshell, was the mystery of Julie Mao and the protomolecule, and I'll put this in quotes, quote, weaponization, unquote. That's the entire arc. And so you've got the, you were mentioning, Rob, you have the Miller story and you have Mm -hmm. the uh, Holden story. That's basically like your two favorite TV shows on a network. You got Miller over here on, on show A and you got Holden over here on show B in at the end of episode eight, they end up getting together. It's like the best crossover moment of yeah. your two best right. favorite TV shows ever. And you really get the story, go- story going at the end of episode eight. Each individual episode gets better than the one before and that extends at least into season four. I've never seen a series like this before. And if, if, cause I've heard complaints that it's slow to start and I would agree with that. 
if you can make it through the fourth episode, which is called CQB. If you've never seen this before, you're listening to us talk about it, and you're like, okay, I'm going to check this out. You get to CQB. If you're in, you're in at CQB. If you're not in at CQB, then you're just not going to get the rest of the series. So CQB is really the turning point. Yeah. That's that's when they got picked up by the Doniger, and we have the uh, we have the mystery have ships fi- that that mystery ship and fire and really the first like I want I want to say it, it was the yeah it is it's the first space battle that they showed mm, second so the first space battle would be when the cant blew up yeah but there wasn't much there really I mean it was it was shooting rockets right so this one you had the you had the uh uh pdcs going off point defense cannons going off you had rail guns and all that i mean this was really and and i agree with sp this was this episode that really brought me in what really brought me in um and and i'll a little spoiler um in the books shed misses his head right he loses his head with a rail gun Mm. um Oh, was it? I, it wasn't a rail gun. It was just well, a it was PDC a, shot that came through yeah, the hull. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was waiting to see if that happened in the show. And when it did, I was like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in for as long as this is because that was cool. I mean, it was cool when I read it, and then it was cool when I saw it and how they, they actually did it. You know, you had the, glob, the globular blood and all that stuff. I was like, yeah, they're doing this right. I'm in. Yeah, the effects in this this show for a, for a TV show are just phenomenal. I mean, they yeah. they did a really good job. I'm I'm sure they had a massive budget, and the budget even gets bigger. Uh, and from what I've read, this is the budget is kind of the reason why they stopped at season six. Uh, they were just they they could do shorter seasons on the budget that they were getting allocated, and that's why season six only had like six episodes, but. It was yeah. getting it was getting to where their their budget was constrained enough that they just weren't able to tell the story that they wanted to, so they just stopped at season six. The shed moment in episode four was my marquee moment of episode four because there's just so much that was phenomenal about that. It was a decapitation in space, which you know, on on network TV because you mentioned season one through three were not on network but cable TV. It was on cable TV. They showed a beheading and they showed what happened to the blood after that. Uh, poor Shed, the actor that played Shed, he's a noted actor, right? So if you hadn't read the books, yeah. you're thinking that Paulo Costanzo is going to be around for a while because he's a famous actor on a lot of TV shows. And then all of a sudden, he's just gone in episode four. You're like, what? And he's not the only one. This happens throughout season one quite a bit where you bring in these very rich characters and they're gone within an episode or two. You have the Canterbury. You have the Doniger. There's phenomenal characters on the Doniger and they're just gone. The entire asteroid of Eros. You have the uh, Christian's friend, the ambassador, Franklin. He's gone because he commits suicide. It's not shown on there. You had the horrific events of Anderson Station where you're drawn in to these miners with their plights and then they're just gone. You have Dawes talking about his sister Athena who we never meet, but it's just graphic in his description. And then you have that spy, which I think he got what was coming to him at the end. Oh, yeah. But yeah. so you ha- have these characters that are just 
so rich and you're involved in them and everything and they're just gone it's well written because you care or you're at least invested in the character enough to care about what's going on with them or where the story's going to go and then you just move on to the next one and they do it so well it's not like they're just throwing characters away like they do on game of thrones they do it for a reason they draw you into a part of the story and then they move on and then like i said before seasons one through three are just building up to the broader story in the end so anything that happens between now and the end of season three is just preamble to the bigger story yeah it's it's really interesting how they kind of expanded the scope uh in season four and beyond and i wonder if that has to do something with probably a larger budget through amazon prime um because in, in season was it season three or was it season four that they uh, they got season, canceled. Season three at the end of season three, they were canceled, um, and Prime Amazon picked them up for season four through six. Okay, yeah. Um, so now the books, the books start really expanding in what would equate to season four as well. You you bring in more more worlds or more planets, uh, different asteroids, more people, more characters. Um, you know, so so the the show kind of followed. Um, Got to realize that that one through three is only following two books, and you you really don't understand the mystery or the capabilities of this proto molecule until the end of that second book. When spoiler ring, the ring happens, um, which you see at the end of three. Okay, no, you so- see that at the end of four. And the three is Venus. Right, right. I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can't two, remember now. Two is Venus, three is the ring. Three is three is the ring. Yep, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Which is the ring is the end of book two. You know, so so they get caught up, but it's it's just that ring happens and all of a sudden the war the the the, the setting explodes. Um and you really get a whole lot more stuff happening. Um and I think I think Amazon picking it up was good. I think even if they didn't get canceled or anything like that and sci-fi uh, was still per, uh, uh, distributing it and everything, I don't think it would have been as good. I don't think we would have be we would be having the same conversation about the longevity of this show as we would have when Amazon picked it up. Well, um, and and because this was produced by Alcon, I think that's budgetary constraints, right? Because it, okay. the, the the distributor is going to pay the production company uh, to to make the episodes, and then the distributor is going to try and recoup those costs back through advertisements and and things like that. So it, it's it's largely up to the budget on this kind of production company distributed distribu- distribution company. Let's see if I can talk today. Um, model, and I think they probably had a bigger budget. I haven't checked into it. I'll do that before next week. Um, they probably had a bigger budget whenever they moved over to Amazon Prime. Yeah, so most definitely. I would think so. So Skiffy as a channel started as sci-fi September of 1992. As a sci-fi geek, it was going to be the greatest thing ever, right? And we built up to Battlestar Galactica in the early 2000s. And then we had some lower budget stuff because they admitted they couldn't do anything big like BSG again because it was just too much money for what they had available. And then we come up with this 
wonderful series of The Expanse, and it was on the same time as like Killjoys and Dark Matter on Skiffy. They canceled Dark Matter in 2017. They canceled this in 2018. And when this was canceled, I vowed never to go back to Skiffy again, and I haven't. I don't even know what's on there anymore, and I hear there's no, one or either. two series on there like maybe the magicians i think might be on there i don't know but i have never gone last season was several years ago okay so i don't even know what's on there i don't want to know what's on there i don't care because my sci-fi that i'm getting now is done by bigger production houses that have more budget that can throw this on like amazon prime like netflix like hbo max people that have good budgets and good writers to put together good series and I think, unfortunately, that's where we're at today, is you can't do decent sci-fi with the effects that we want on the budget that you can do on cable or network TV. That's why it just doesn't work, because it doesn't get the viewership, they don't get the advertising, and they just don't have the budget to do that, versus you take it on a streaming platform where you get paid customers that say, I'm going to give you my money so that I can watch these things, whether it's Paramount Plus or whatever, right? And so that is the way of the future, and I'm glad that Amazon picked it up. I think Jeff Bezos personally told the president of, of Prime Video, I want that. And so they went out to go get it because their boss, Jeff Bezos, said, go get it. And so I'm so glad that they did because I think you're right. I think the treatment on Amazon Prime was exactly what they needed, and they got those Bezos bucks behind it. Yeah. So I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think sci-fi could be able to produce the kind of shows that you're wanting because sci-fi, if, if I'm remembering correctly, is under the uh, NBC Comcast umbrella, right? Correct. That is, that yeah. is correct, but so, I also have an issue with NBC because they've never, even on their broadcast network, they've never done genre shows correctly. So CBS has Paramount Plus. They're producing uh, Star Trek. Uh, people love Discovery for whatever fucking reason. I have no idea it's why a good because show. it's a shit show. Good show. And but they do produce Picard, and Picard was an excellent series. I'm looking forward to seasons two and three. Shit show. What so the is, fuck ever. <laughs> <laughs> so is Lower Decks. Lower Decks is fun. Star yeah. Trek, and that's on Paramount. It Plus. is. I like that one too. Yeah. Whatever. Um, but I mean, so those are high budget, uh, really good special effects shows uh, for sci-fi. Um, so FX does, they don't necessarily do sci-fi, but they do other genres that do have uh, quite a few special effects. American Horror Story is one of them, although not nearly as effects laden as, as like a sci-fi series. And those shows are really popular and uh, they have good budgets with, I mean, a lot of their budget goes into the fucking phenomenal acting cast that they have. Um, so, so cable companies are able to put together great stories uh, with with good budgets. I just think sci-fi has been neglected somehow. Maybe it's a maybe it's a lack of leadership under sci-fi. Maybe NBC just doesn't give two shits about sci-fi or Comcast. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what sci-fi was back whenever it first came out. Uh, in 1992, we were excited. It had some, I mean, it was definitely a, a B-tier uh, cable channel. But it had good shows like uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. That was a fun show that we used to watch. 
Um, it didn't really produce its own stuff. It just had some old sci-fi stuff. And if you wanted to watch some B-roll sci-fi from like the 50s, that was a great place to, to view it. Um, and then whenever it started producing its own shows, though, that's when it got the reputation for being a shit fucking network with shit content. They kind of changed that around 2000, uh, especially whenever they came out with the new Battlestar Galactica. That was that was really good. They had some really good series like uh, Eureka, Warehouse, whatever. I never watched Warehouse. Warehouse whatever. 13. Yeah, Warehouse 13, but everybody uh, says that's monkeys. really good. Twelve Monkeys was pretty good. Twelve Monkeys I heard was pretty good. I didn't watch that. Uh, Haven was really good. I did watch mm-hmm. that. So they they had a good run. I just don't know what happened. I I suspect professional wrestling happened. They started showing professional wrestling more and more on that fucking channel for whatever reason because professional wrestling is is sci fi. I don't know. They were just trying to pad the the uh, pad their run times or whatever. I don't know what happened to sci-fi. I think it's a lack of leadership, but it could be what you want it to be. If somebody came around and took over the network and was able to uh, do the visionary stuff of really getting into there and doing decent pilots that were adequately financed basically so that you knew the series wasn't going to break their budget and then ramp up from there. I think it'd be good. I just think it's time has passed. I think those genre cable channels have been taken over with any sort of budget whatsoever by the streaming channels and the amount of money that they're able to put in because of the streaming channels like Apple TV. There's a good example with foundation, great series, I, you could debate the source material if you want, but they did it well. They treated it well, and it's available because it's a, a paid TV uh, or paid streaming service, uh, and they have those bucks behind them to do that. They they want the next big hit. They want the next Game of Thrones, and they know that there's this big market out there for superheroes and sci-fi, maybe not as much as the general public, but they know that it's available, and they know that the people that are going to pay for streaming services are going to want that sort of stuff. So I just think in the future, that's where we're going to get, and I just don't think Skiffy as a network should even exist. The reason why they went to the wrestling stuff, which I know some people like, I, I don't watch it, but the reason why they did it is because it was making more money than Eureka and Warehouse 13 and Haven. I had a love-hate relationship with Haven, by the way. 12 Monkeys, great series. But when Dark Matter and when Killjoys ended, that was the last shows that I watched yeah. on sci-fi. I was never yeah. going to go back after that unless they turn it around sometime. But I just don't think that the market is going to be able to do that. I haven't seen anything... They had uh, a show called Vagrant Queen. I watched like three episodes of that, and I'm like, nope, that's done. That was uh, that was back in 2020. Um, Killjoys. I finished that one up, which ended in 2019. So anything after Killjoys has not been that great. Yeah, um, on sci-fi. I stopped watching sci-fi after The Magicians ended, and there was in really 2020. Yeah, there was no. Was that 2020? Yep, yep, yep. I'm looking at all their all their crap here. Huh. Um, I didn't think it was that recently. It doesn't seem yeah, that magicians, recently. Yeah, yeah, the magicians ended April first, twenty twenty. Huh. Maybe okay. if the people that ran sci fi 
just was able to use the correct code phrases like donkey balls that they would be able to get the good mm-hmm. series in again. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yep. Donkey balls. That is a that is a code <laughs> phrase I need to put in my lexicon. Mm-hmm. All right. Final thoughts, SP. It was so funny listening to Alec as he was just trying to string together all the code phrases and just threw donkey balls in because that's what he remembered hearing, right? Donkey balls, donkey balls, donkey balls. Um, I have a couple of unanswered questions from the series that really bugged me. Uh, the first one is, what did Holden's first girlfriend, you know, the, the navigator on the cant, what did she mm-hmm. want to tell him? We never get to find that pregnant. out. Yeah, I think and she was pregnant. pregnant. I, that wasn't even in the book, though. So it, that's just speculation, right? But that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, like, I think what? I think it, I think she was pregnant. I think that's why she was getting off the cant because she didn't want to, you know, be pregnant on a ice hauler out in space. Um, and I think she was going to tell Holden, "Hey, you know, you're the baby daddy," and yeah. And then she well, dies. Yeah, because there's because well because in the book uh, in the books. Um, most people that uh, are, if they can afford it, that are pregnant, go to certain worlds where, um, you know, they can be shielded from radiation uh, and they have an atmosphere or not an atmosphere, but uh, a stable or um, gravity, things like that to make the baby um, develop correctly more yeah develop correctly be more feasible um and they and they even mentioned this in the in the first season that you know they mentioned uh miller taking taking shots and things like that and yeah. um you know he's got that bone spur in the back of his neck you know that kind of deal and so kind of the kind of the birth defects that a right. lot of the belters came out with due to the, the low and kind of fucked up gravity a lot of them right, came right. out like really tall during their development and he had well yeah because they no no gravity to push your bones together right and he had like um he had that that vertebrae stuff yeah yeah vertebrae fusion yeah what the was other, your other uh problem the other unanswered question not necessarily a problem i have a couple of those but the other unanswered unanswered question is why did the cant captain have all those dang glass cats? That's a story we never got. We are led into <laughs> it so much, I and I just want to know why he had all those glass cats, other than to be a diversion for him not to be able to ask Holden why he left Earth. Basically, it's just a it's a story crutch, but then we never get the answer. It's like all these years later, I want to know the answer to those two questions, and I never get them. Well, Holden wanted to know the answer too. In fact, uh, he and yeah. uh, um, fuck, Man, you and names, dude. God damn it, Dominique keeps popping into my head every time I want to Naomi. talk. Naomi, 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 Naomi Nagata, God, Nagata. I can't every time I see her in my fucking uh, mind. Look, just Dominique call her Boo-Boo Tipper Kitty comes fuck. into. It's huh? fine. Just call her Boo Boo Kitty Fuck. It's fine. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, so Holden's yeah, when woman. he and Naomi were were talking, uh, yeah, he was he was like, "That's that's the story I I never got and that I wanted to know." So and she, because uh, she had mentioned all those weird fucking cats on the can. What other questions you have, SP? Okay, I'll just end by one issue I had. So I just ended this by saying, or I just said that there's a lot of great science out there, and they're following science and everything like that. Remember when the Belter rock haulers were hauled over by the 
Martian Marines and they were saying you can't go yeah. to this way or whatever. They're walking in on the ship deck like there's gravity. There is no drive going. They were told to order, you know, heave ho, whatever. So their drives off. And so the Martians come in there. They're walking around like there's gravity. There is no gravity. That's like one of the many reasons. I know they get around it by saying, oh, they're just using Meg boots. Well, okay. So their hair would be floating up or whatever. Right. And it just wasn't. So I get, you know, production wise, why they, it was really a minor scene in the grand scheme of things. And it ended with that wonderful, let's use rock, let's have these rock hoppers use rocks as weapons, trying to, you know, shoot at these Martian ships and everything. Foreshadow. Yeah. That, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, So it was, uh, just one of the quabbles I had basically. Yeah. But. So that, that kind of relates to one of the quabbles that I had. Um, first, yeah, the, there were a few scenes and it was, there was several scenes throughout the season where they would be uh, in zero G walking around with mag boots. And most everybody in the series actually has pretty short hair. They have their hair tied up real tight. So it doesn't matter, but there's a, there's a couple scenes where somebody with long hair, their hair would be like draped over their shoulders uh, like they were in gravity. And so that, that wasn't quite consistent. Although they did show Julie Mao in zero G whenever she was, uh, in that container, right. um, with her hair. I mean, I think they probably, they either had really good CG or they, they filmed that underwater, uh, that, that scene whenever she was in the container. But my other question is, and this also, um, this comes into play in season six too. You see this quite a bit in season six, but that scene where the ship is hauling the rocks, right? Yeah. How's that ship sh- slow the rocks down? Same way. They're all in a net. Uh, so they flip it around, right? And then they use thrust drive the way that they would do uh, normal. And the, the thrust is away from the tow line. So it doesn't fry the tow line. Okay. But yeah. so it flips the ship around. Mm-hmm. They uh, in the books, everything is done with a, a via flip and burn. So you burn halfway, you flip the ship, and you start burning the other. No, halfway. no, no. I get that. I get that. I'm yeah. just trying to figure out the physics of towing something. So at that point, then the rocks would be towing the ship for a little while, and until then the ship the would thrust have, okay, is, would overcomes would decelerate the the, the, right. the inertia. Okay, right. Right, and my guess is when they're hauling rocks and things like that, they're not, they're not going full bore, you know. They're going at that that point five G or whatever, so that when they do the flip and burn, they can do a they can do a heavy, a heavy burn to slow themselves down faster, or they just have that in their calculation in terms of well, yeah, okay, I figure, it's going to take us. Figure all know, this X is done by miles. computer. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to take us X number of knots or what? I don't know what they're at that point in time. What is what is their unit of measure? Kilometers, kilometers, miles, parsecs. KPS is. I mean, it depends. Three hundred years in the future. I don't know what they use, but yeah, it's usually miles per second or kilometers per second is a, a good thing that you use. Uh, usually, you use it as some sort of delta V, which is you know measured in either miles or kilometers per second. Um, so yeah, uh, we didn't get a chance this week to go into all of the characters. I really want to dive into the characters next time. If you guys would have me back. 
Oh, you're coming back. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're in it you for said you were haul. doing all six seasons, so yeah, yeah. You have uh, you do get a you do get a week off. Um, we got to <laughs> grab James and do Moonfall. Cool. Well, but, uh, woohoo! Vegas weekend yeah. for me. There you go. <laughs> all right, Rob, you got a haiku for us this week. I do. Uh, this one is titled Porno Idea. Four, yeah, yeah. Four people, one ship. Wrong place, wrong time, all the time. Alien space jizz. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're so fucking gross. You're welcome. I hate you. Who's got awards? Yeah, yeah. I've got oh, a you know limerick if you want. You oh! got a what? Oh, he's got a limerick. Oh, a limerick? Do well, it. Let's hear do it. it. Okay. I, I titled this Expanse Part 1. Holden and Miller exploits bitchin. Johnson, Dawes, and Christian position. Julie Mao shortchanged. Jules Pierre Mao deranged. Earth, Mars, and Belt, Epic Collision. Nice. Nice. That's a good one. Rhymes and everything. It does. Rob's never rhyme. I don't do limericks, and haikus aren't supposed to rhyme. (laughs) All right, who's got awards? All right, SP, who's got your Black Long Award? Well... I originally, when I was thinking about this first season, I wanted to go with Miller and Holden because they were smoking from their deadly dose of radiation, so to speak. But there was an actual person smoking in here, and we didn't talk about smoking in space and oxygen and that sort of thing. Maybe we'll do it in the future. I don't know. There was a girl outside the the, the racer bar that they were looking at, you know, the racers that were going around the solar systems. I think it's called yeah, yeah, Easy's yeah, Becco's yeah. Hold. There's a girl outside that was smoking, so I have to give it to her. Cool. Rob? Um, I I went ahead and just give it to Christian, because uh, she sounds like she was a heavy smoker. <laughs> yeah, that's who's getting mine, too. Yeah. It sounds like she's been smoking for, like, twice her lifetime. No, we kidding. <laughs> so, for, for this series... She she's gonna be my honorary, and she's getting it for this one. So yeah, yeah. Um, she's she's getting my my award, uh, my black lung award. All right, Rob, mm. who's got your head lash? Oh, I, it's Amos. Always Amos. You think? Okay. Yeah, he is. Dude, he went through lockers looking for booze. He used booze to keep himself uh, uh, awake during when he got shot in the leg. He went to a titty bar and got booze. The guy is a booze hound. Oh, yeah. In season six, it, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's boo- Amos. Always Amos. All right. SP? I chose Amos because he found the bottle in the Rossi, and then he's always drinking in the bars and stuff like that. So same reasons that Rob had. And I'm really cringing here because I think it's this is going to be another whatever Rob calls it. No. No, it's not going to be that. Uh, because <laughs> mine's going to go to Miller. Uh, because he is the original booze hound. He was always drunk. In fact, the only thing that dried him out was his love for Julie Mao and his uh, his need to, to find her. So he dried out in order to keep a clear head in order to complete the investigation. So 
that's uh, he's he's the one getting my my head lush. I, I think he There's, probably could drink Amos under the table. Look, there are five more seasons. My three way will show up at one point in time. <laughs> Maybe even a menage a trois. No, no. All right, SP. Who's got your player? I really didn't know where to go here, so I just chose Holden because of his little thing that he had going on in the Canterbury with a fellow officer on board. So Holden's got my player. Okay, Rob? Yeah, I gave it to Holden for the uh, floaty space sex. I mean, 10 seconds into the mo- into the show, and yeah. Yeah, some... Uh, God damn it. And I got to like switch. Got around too. Uh, I got to switch mine. Um, no, you don't. No, yes, no. Do. no, no. Um, no. So mine's going to go to Naomi. Holden. It's <laughs> no, going to Holden. No, Perfect. It is not going to Holden. No, no, uh, it is. Mine's going to go to Naomi now. Uh, no, because that uh, seems weak. She's uh, she's starting to put the moves on Holden at the end of the season. No, uh, she's, no, she's, she's kind of giving him the uh, the fuck me eyes. So I no, want she's it. Not. Yeah, she I is. Wanted, go ahead. Give it to Holden. No, 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 no. I wanted nope, to go with her, Naomi. but I couldn't because she doesn't do anything in the season. No, yeah. she doesn't. Yeah, at the end. I'm gonna uh, again, weak. Yeah. Well, you can call it weak, but you're not getting your thing, so All right. <laughs> All right, Rob, who's got your purple hippo? So this one I kinda gave as a as a tie. Um actually this one might even be a three way potentially. No. Um that's so not allowed. the first my first one was uh, I was going to give it to Holden and Miller for the whole radiation uh, death. You know they were like spewing crap. You know you know things are liquid inside. Um, but then I also remembered the first officer of the Cant um, going just downright nuts, sitting on standing on dirt, right, and trying to What's, kill himself. Right, it was great. So <laughs> why didn't we bring more yeah. light out? We need to bring more light. <laughs> Yeah. All right, SP. I will go for the combination of Miller and Julie Mao. Julie Mao, because she was used by everyone. Every single person that she knew used her for something. And so even her father. So I will go Julie Mao. And then I will also go Miller for being so hung up on Julie. So if I have to choose one, it'll be Julie. But I wanted you a tie between Miller and Julie. Yeah, Miller even started hallucinating, uh, mostly due to the radiation, but yeah, he started hallucinating Julie Mao at the end. That's definitely a, a worthy purple hippo candidate. So mine is going to go to Julie um, for getting infected and uh, living through uh, the crystals, basically eating her from the inside out. And she also saw a vision of Miller who she had never met and the bird that Miller was looking at at the very time that she died. So there was a connection between her and Miller somehow. Um, so she's getting my, my purple hippo. Cause that's a, I, that's a fucking head trip. I want my bird. I want my bird. Bring me my bird <laughs> from Iron Man two. I mean, whatever. All right. Just a sec here. Got to pull it up so we can figure out what we're doing next week. Yep. Yep, yep. Yeah, pulling up the list so we can pick. Yep, yep. What? No. (laughs) (laughs) SP's lost. Wait, what? 
All right, so next week we're going to be discussing season two of The Expanse. Uh, this is the season where uh, the shit really starts hitting the fan. Uh, and we learn more about the proto-molecule in this season. It's uh, it's the hunt for the proto-molecule and all the details about the proto-molecule in season two. SP is going to uh, join us through the kindness of his heart, and I'm not sure why. Probably the pictures that I have on him or something. But... Uh, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, any uh, any final thoughts, SP? Where can the people find you? Well, they can find me over at gunnageek.com. That's G-O-N-N-A-G-E-E-K.com. I've got a podcast on superheroes called Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. about the Marvel Studios general universe. I've got a podcast about hobby podcasting called Better Podcasting. So, you can find me over there. And, yes, I will indeed be coming into this show next week because I'm going to talk about my favorite character which doesn't show up until season two. Oh, I can't wait to hear about that. Alright, so that's all we've got for this week. Our intro and outro music is Welcome Home by Cambo. Pod crawl music is Snack Mix My Machette. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. You can leave us feedback on our Discord you channel know, at smokinganddrinkinginspace.com forward slash Discord. On Twitter at setus underscore podcast or you can email us at smokinganddrinkinginspace.com to a new place smoking and drinking in space at outlook.com i hate you rob if you would like to throw a few nickels our way you can become a patreon supporter by going to smoking and drinking in space.com forward slash patreon making it louder is not going to help visit creative brain candy for more great shows and other creative works at creativebraincandy.com thanks sp for joining us this week for this week i'm jason donkey balls i'm sp thanks for having me did i do the code word And we'll talk to y'all next week. It's not a safe word, Rob.